With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What the hell, Casey? <laughs> we got to do. I know. He's probably thinking, oh, I don't have to edit this podcast, so I'm going to take my damn little time. Okay, what the living hell, Casey? Oh, okay, he says he's good now. Is he? Is he good? <laughs> and people wonder why we haven't done a podcast in like two months. <laughs> this is so, it's such a top-notch, well-oiled machine. Like, seriously, the day I step away from hammering rails, you guys are Hello. screwed. Hi. Yeah, what's up? Goodness gracious. That's the sound of Tito's vodka. Oh, no. oh Lord, man. It's Thursday. <laughs> We're going to go another two months without a podcast at this rate. Okay, first of all, Mr. Thursday, <laughs> it's summer, so I don't have class. And hey, my I day's got work tomorrow. My days off are Thursday, Friday, and Sunday. I mean, I figured if you're just opening a bottle of vodka, it's just another day that ends in Y for you. What, what are you What are you putting in this vodka? I forgot to grab a mixer, so I'm putting Diet Mountain Dew in there. Well, that's not bad. That's a that counts as a mixer. What What the hell, you guys? What's your problem? Isn't this where Travis still, calls Casey a pretty woman or something? No, no I, I have. I still have a bottle of lemon vodka I won at work two years ago, and I have no idea what to mix it with. Right, your mouth. <laughs> you put it in your mouth. Cheers. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. The Hammer and Rails podcast is back. That's right. We have dusted this off. We have dusted everything off. We have got the Skype machine going and the original thugs that we are. Oh, the broadcast stop. applies. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> if this is how this is going to go, I, got, I can't be a part of this. I have to hang up. <laughs> that would be. Andrew Ledman checking in from our nation's no, no, capital. No. <laughs> Le- Ledman is now half a lawyer, so uh, let's give him some congratulations there, and uh, hopefully we'll be a senator soon. Andrew, yeah. how you doing? I- I'm doing great. How y'all doing? <laughs> good, good. He's trying to make us think he's still part of the Midwest. That's right. <laughs> that would be Casey checking in from God's country with some Tito's vodka in a glass and the wonderful mixer that is Diet Mountain Dew starting the weekend early on a Thursday. How are you doing, Casey? I appreciate the trepidation in your voice when you say my name. Well, hey, I always have trepidation. I'm thirsty Everybody. and I'm solving it. That's how I'm he, doing. He's also drinking Diet Mountain Dew because he's worried about his girlish figure. There you go. That is true. And the fourth member of our crew... Checking in from Ann Arbor, manning the ones and twos, Juan Crespo, as always. Juan, Juan! Why did I agree to do this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> now that everybody's checked in, uh, obviously we had some big news uh, this weekend, or not this weekend, but yesterday. Big, big news in uh, Co- Purdue College basketball. Tommy Luce agreed to come back for his sophomore season. So uh, I, I think this is just critical. The, uh, the, the table loose is women. Set. 
the table's set. Uh, his fan club, the Loose Women, are uh, excited <laughs> about the 2017-18 season, ready for him to uh, drop dimes like a bank teller. And, uh, yeah, I mean, anything else going on, guys? That's a terrible bank teller if he's dropping dimes. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, obviously, seriously, we uh, had the big news of Isaac Haas and Vince Edwards are returning to Purdue basketball for the 2017-18 season. But, alas, we must bid adieu to one Caleb Swanigan, who will be staying in the NBA draft. Uh, so what are your opening thoughts, gentlemen? Uh, I mean, I think we all kind of knew Haas and Edwards would be back. There was a little trepidation about Edwards. There was, you know, kind of some rumors that maybe because um, he, he has a family. So maybe the thought was he, he would tr- stay in the draft. And if he didn't get drafted, head, head over to Europe to get some money. But I think we all assumed the two of them would be back. And, and I think the majority of us, um, Kyle, of course, excluded, believed that Biggie was going to be gone. I mean, you know, there was there was not much else he could do in the college game to kind of up his draft stock unless he could come back and just and just dominate for one more year. Sucks for us that he's going to be gone, but it's probably the right decision for him uh, long term. Um, I don't think his stock's ever going to be higher. So I think he made the right decision and, and we all wish him the best of luck. Most definitely. And I think that's what we take away from it here. I know yesterday we just had as as the day went on, we had that little bit of, OK, maybe he actually is coming back and we could dream of that super team. But, you know, I, I tend to agree with you is just it's the right decision. He but I think he had I think he put a lot more thought into it this year and he was probably a lot closer to coming back than we originally thought or will probably ever know. I mean, his the tweet he announced that he couldn't believe that he was sad to announce that he was going to the NBA. Kind of says a lot about where the program is, what Matt Painter's done. I mean, Caleb Swanigan, he pretty much has admitted that he came in his freshman year with an attitude with his sight only on, you know, being in the NBA and through his maturation over the last year and what Coach Painter and the staff has brought to his game. Like, he's really learned to love to be a Boilermaker, and I think that bodes well for, you know, a school that's had multiple entire recruiting classes leave for transfers. The good guys seem to like it, though. So yeah, I, I agree, and I think you saw that with just kind of his attitude off the court. You saw it over the summer when he was uh, doing the Instagram stuff from – Spain and everything it just seemed like it really felt like he was more part of the team and really fitting in with the guys whereas at times last year he kind of he kind of came off like a lone wolf and this is from a guy that's you know always kept himself you know pretty close to the chest his emotions and everything else and very business-like both on and off the court uh but it was still nice to see him just kind of loosen up and really I think he enjoyed this season a lot more than he did last than the uh 2015-16 season. I think that's absolutely right. And I mean, it's a good point. You'd look at just the way he changed uh, from his freshman year to sophomore year. You know, for somebody who's lived the life he's led and basically he got to where he is based on sheer hard work, determination and, you know, effort. Um, Sure, he's, you know, he's athletic, got great genetics as far as basketball goes, but, you know, he doesn't get to where he is without putting in the work. And at a certain point, that focus takes over every part of your life and and you don't allow yourself to slow down. You don't allow yourself to relax and, and take time off and enjoy those things. And if he got nothing else out of his time at Purdue, I think he realized 
that you have to have a balance in your life. You know, there has to be something else other than basketball there. And and if he found that at Purdue, I think that's that's maybe the best thing Painter could have given him. Exactly. And I, I think it's wonderful that he got to go off his very last game at Mackey Arena is a win over your biggest rival to clinch a conference championship. And, you know, at the, at the time, we were pretty sure it was going to be his last game. And then, you know, you have this whole saga where there was a possibility he was going to come back or not. But just the way that he was able to go out, I think that's a, a fitting end for his final game in front of the home crowd. Vincent comes back is huge. That fills the hole that one of those two had to occupy. So even on a basketball court, I think we're going to be okay. Well, that that does raise the question of, uh, you know, how do you guys, you know, what impact does Vince and uh, Isaac have now? I know one of the things that I've been kind of mulling over in my head is, you know, in a way, could Purdue even be better despite losing an All-American, which is kind of absurd to say. But when you think about how the pieces and everything fit together, you know, there's at least a possibility there. Well, no, because I remember I saw one tweet that was like, the feeling when, you know, you lose Caleb Swanigan, but now you know Matt Painter can't go ISO in with Swanigan at the end of the game. <laughs> I mean, that's not really Biggie's fault. I mean, he of course we're going to give him the ball, but I mean, it, it it forces the offense to expand beyond always needing to have a post presence because we know Isaac Haas, as much as we love him, like 10 minutes into the game, he's going to be into foul trouble anyway. So, but the, so it's going to give us the chance for the offense to expand. Like, I mean, when we lost AJ Hammonds last year, that also forced Painter to maybe move a bit away from the center and get the wings to get to do some more work. And the offense flowed so beautifully uh, this past year in comparisons to years past. So who knows what could happen? I think there's a basketball avenue where it makes a lot more sense to have Isaac Haas as the one big man inside. And we've never, Isaac Haas has played for three years and he's been one of the most efficient scorers in the country, but I don't think he's played a single minute of college basketball where he wasn't in the back of his mind, knowing if he screwed up, he's getting yanked out. He played behind AJ Hammonds his first two years. And then last year, him and Caleb pretty much shared the five spot. And, you know, in the Iowa State game, he was great, but there was still a huge stretch of about 15 straight minutes where he didn't even get on the floor. Next year, that's not going to be the case. He's going to know he's the guy. He's going to know he can play as many minutes as his body will allow and foul trouble will Uh allow. And I think that's going to do huge for a guy who everyone wants to play more aggressive. The biggest part about being aggressive is being confident and knowing not being afraid to make some mistakes and step out. And Isaac Haas in the post is you can't guard him. Right. And we've seen three years of it. And we're going to match him up with more athleticism next year, shooting everywhere. And our offense should be our offense should be better than it was last year. See, that is an an interesting argument. I think it's one as Purdue fans we've had in multiple off seasons. I mean, people said that after Hammonds left, the idea was, you know, we wouldn't rely as much on Hammonds so we could open up the offense. We had more shooters coming in and we, we all kind of took the position that maybe our offense would be better. And again, we're, we're saying it now that, that Swanigan is leaving and, I think it probably was true when Hammonds left. I think our offense was was more varied. I think it had um, more options, more looks we could put out there. And I think it's probably true that w- it'll be similar um, this next season. But, um, I mean, let, let's not kid ourselves. We are losing uh, consensus All-American. So that's right. going to hurt uh, in a number of ways. But we're going to have to rely on the team uh, to make up for what we lose. And that's going to be a lot of rebounding and a lot of hustle plays. I mean, our offense did get way better. 
when Hammonds, you know, went to the NBA. I don't think that's purely out of losing him, but I think having more shooters on the floor, Vincent, I mean, the secret's been, he's been our, he's been the best Vincent when he's playing the four. And this year, I mean, that's a spot. He's pretty much the only four we have on the roster. Yeah, the only besides the freshmen we're bringing in. So I think we're going to get 35 to 38 minutes of Vincent at the four where he is a mismatch for pretty much everyone in one way or another. And I think when you also have three other seniors starting, it's huge. Uh, the idea of him playing that many minutes worries me, though. I mean, I, I know it's not a direct one-to-one comparison, but remember two years ago at the end of the NCAA tournament game against Arkansas Little Rock, you know, it was granted it was an overtime, but I mean, he, he just looked dead. I mean, he had no legs, he had no shot. Um, and if he's a, and if he truly is going to play that many minutes, uh, he, he's got to get himself in better shape. I think I that mean, was an exception, though. Yeah, I think that like, was a lot of altitude. At, and at, It was at the under four timeout. They were well up. So at that point, you know, you're already in the cruising mode. And like Casey said, the altitude might have played a bit of a factor in there. I mean, we've seen him play a lot of minutes. Yeah. There's a stretch, the Michigan to North, the last three regular season games, he played 38, 37, and 35 minutes. And he was outstanding and. You know, the Indiana and Northwestern game especially were two of his better games. I think he's – you never want to bank on him playing that many minutes. And we have Ewing and Wheeler coming in, and they'll take over some of that. And Jaquil Taylor, if he can stay healthy, Matt Harms. I think it's going to be mostly we'll stick to him longer just because he's playing well. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably true. I think he obviously is going to be the leader of the team next year. He, on the floor – Maybe you could argue that Carson Edwards will have something to say about that because he's a guy with a lot of presence, uh, a lot of talent, and he can he can be vocal on the floor. But uh, as far as like the emotional and spiritual leader of the team, I think we can all agree that's probably going to be Vincent Edwards. And I don't know if you could say that this last year, these last two years. I don't know who you would say the real leader of the team these past couple seasons has been. I don't know if you can say it next year either. Will he be the best player? Absolutely. But, you know, PJ Thompson's talked about being vocal every year. as That's his job as a point guard. When you have four different seniors who have went through everything they've went to through, and at this point, they've pretty much seen everything. I don't know if you need one leader. You have that pack of four that's going to, you know, set the example for everyone. PJ, Vincent. Dakota, Isaac, and then, you know, Ryan Klein's been around for a while now. Even Jaquil Taylor's been around for a while. We're bringing in a bunch of freshmen, but, I mean, we're still going to be top-heavy with minutes on guys that have been there and done it. It's an interesting thing for Purdue that we haven't had in these recent years where we we do have a senior-heavy rotation. You know, like Casey, I believe you mentioned earlier, all the players who transferred out of Purdue these past few years, you know, we were were losing – entire recruiting classes were, were just gone. So to be in a position now where we're senior heavy, where guys not only who are seniors, but who are seniors who've played a lot of minutes uh, is quite a difference. And it'll be interesting to see um, if that makes a difference on the number of minutes those guys get and in how kind of Painter relies on them and how Painter coaches, especially at end of end of game situations, now that maybe we don't have a guy like Hammonds or we don't have a guy like Biggie, who you you say to yourself, we just got to get him the ball at the end and he can make something happen. When you I'm almost not- argue like what Juan said, Swanigan was bad at end of possession. Oh, I, I, I agree. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say he was bad at it, but he was the defense just knew well, what saying, was going to happen. Well, I'm going to say it. he was bad. He, he was, was very bad. I'm, I'm just going to say the defenses knew the ball was going to go to him and they knew to guard him 
right away. That's why I think and he just when held he on to it and turned it over. That's bad. Well, that's why I think too. Like when, um, like the Maryland game when Biggie fouled out and Carson was able to get to the basket to draw those two fouls. Like the def- the Maryland defense was lost. There was like crap. There's no Biggie here. What the hell are we supposed to do? And Carson surprised. I think. I think it just became too predictable that the ball was going to go to Biggie. The defenses could easily and double triple team him and, you know, cause him to look bad down there. That's just my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how you defend a lineup of PJ Thompson, Carson Edwards, Dakota Mathias, Vincent Edwards, and Isaac Haas. They are all threats almost everywhere. Right. And Isaac Haas, you literally cannot guard him one-on-one. You can't do it. He will score. You see, I, I mean, I, I love Isaac Haas. I think he's a great player. But the problem he's had since he's been here is he's not aggressive. He takes too many shots going away from the basket. And those are not his high percentage shots. You know, when he can get the ball and go to the hoop and uh, not travel, he is nearly unguardable. But for whatever reason, he whether it be focus or whether it be the fact that he's just a super nice guy, he he doesn't play angry. You know, he doesn't. Get I am so face. tired of the angry narrative. No, but I think the the pull the fadeaway jump shot is something he has to learn how to do anyway. You know, I mean, he shot fifty nine percent the last two years, even with all the like missed dunks and layups missed at the hoop, he still makes it sixty percent of the time that he shoots it. Yeah, and it should be way higher than that. The fact that it could possibly be higher is a good thing. Like a sixty percent chance of it going in is incredible. Yeah, so if he I mean I know. I'm year, like I'm I'm grading him on a ridiculous standard because because he's a monster. He is not a normal human person. And when you when you put someone of his size and his strength on a basketball court, I expect a lot of great things from that person. And he's done a lot of great things, but he also makes a lot of mistakes, the same mistakes that he made as a freshman. He, he's gotten better each year, but it, there are things he needs to improve upon. And with him being the only true five we're going to have next year, there is going to be a lot of weight on those big, broad shoulders of his. Don't you think there is a chance, though, that he's going to for once his role is actually defined. He knows his minutes are there. That should help a kid who looks a little tentative on occasion. Yeah, I suppose. But, okay, don't you think you calling him tentative is the same as me saying he doesn't play angry? No, because playing angry is dumb. Hulk would be a horrible basketball player. He would just grab the ball and try to dunk, and he'd turn it over, and he'd throw it off the back of the rim. I think Haas gets in his own head a little bit sometimes, and sure, it'd be nice if he dunked when he was close. But I think a lot of it is just being comfortable. He hasn't played a ton of minutes. Um, He's not a natural passer. Just playing angry and bulldozing gets you in as much trouble as, you know, being soft with it. I think it's just taking advantage of what he has and knowing when and where to attack. Yeah, I mean... When I say play angry, I think, and I think I speak for most people when they say this, they don't mean like throw elbows and run around. It's just play with an intensity, play with a fire that you see on his face from time to time. You know, he'll get in a zone and you know that if he gets the ball, he's, he's going to score. He's going to dunk on you. He's, he's going to make the smart play. That's what I'm referring to. But he also gets called for every foul imaginable just because he's posting up with his arm up and people's heads are at his yeah, elbows. I completely agree. He's 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 got to be the hardest player to officiate in college basketball. I say that trying to give refs as much slack as I can, but really to me it shouldn't be that hard because I'm only five six, so I'm not a giant guy. So when Isaac Haas stands next to me and he's got his elbows at his waist, you know. That's going to be hitting me in the head. 
And that doesn't mean that's a foul on him. It just means there's a height disparity. And refs need to realize that and, and change the way they officiate him. And I win the argument because no one is talking. <laughs> yes. Did, did Travis how, leave? That, that's not how it works. Yeah, Travis wants to go take care of his kid. Oh. I just said what I already had to say anyway. So I was waiting for him to take over the ship and move us on. So I guess I'll do it. I suppose we are a century days away from football. I don't even know. Yay. Is there any real room for optimism? Is it just like the absence of Hazel enough to like carry this season through? At least until the first blowout. So the We're first playing game. Louisville the first game on the road. This is true. Like I mean, Louisville's going to happen. I mean, hopefully Louisville plays the same way they played towards the end of their season where they lost to Kentucky. They got blown out in their bowl game. Like maybe, maybe that Louisville will show up. Louisville beats us by 40. That's also possible. That's probably what's going to happen, but I can hope. See, okay. Absolutely going to happen. Here's my, here's my quick take on the football season. We're going to be bad. We just simply don't have the horses. The coach, of course, was a big problem these last few years. Hazel just, I, I don't know what he was doing. I don't know what he was doing recruiting. I don't know what he was doing on the field. I don't know what he was doing with timeouts, game management. I have no idea what was going on in the sideline like 95% of the time. Now, that being said, I think already you can tell it seems clear we've upgraded the coaching position, but we still got the same players. And you can only bring in so many new guys in one season to turn over a football roster. And you're not going to have enough to suddenly go you know, to six, seven, eight wins this season. It's just not going to happen. So the games are going to be hard to watch, but I think they will be better than last year. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> I'm telling you, that's the best I can do. I mean, you don't uh, have to because it's also not the easiest schedule that he has to deal with. It's certainly not the, it's not, it's certainly not like the schedule Hazel had to deal with in his first season, but it, you know, starting off with Louisville, having uh, Missouri, and then you're also bringing in Michigan. You still have to deal with Wisconsin. Um, I guess Nebraska is still probably going to be good. I don't know about them anymore. But, yeah, it's. I think CBS said Purdue has the second hardest schedule in the Big Ten. So it's not going to be the – it's not going to be a cakewalk for Brown in his first year. Blau's going to be good, right? Like it should be fun to watch him and Brown's offense? Yeah, I would think so. Well, as long as he's uh, – well, that and this is me tagging back in here. I think the biggest thing is it's not just so much they don't have the talent in some areas, it's where they don't have the talent. And the offensive line is going to be an absolute shit show because um, we don't have tackles. I mean, we just don't. And those are kind of important. And so I, I think that's really going to limit what Brom is able to do as a quarterback because we're going to have to come up with creative ways for him to not get killed, basically. Yeah, well... And in addition to a terrible offensive line, we're going to have a terrible defensive line. We have no depth. Uh, We have basically no wide receivers. Uh, Let's see. We have almost an entirely new secondary. We have, I mean, we have linebackers that should be decent, so that's good. But, I mean, other than linebacker and maybe running running, back, what would you say the strength of this team is going to be? Running backs and quarterbacks. Uh... We got a good long snapper. No, we don't. Yes, we do. Says who? Yes, we do. Why? Because we haven't had a bad snap in like a decade. We have a tradition. He gets a lot of practice. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you make a good point. There's, I mean, I wouldn't call much a strength and, um, you know, we have probably what, would you say five guys that could start for another big 10 team? No, yeah, and three of them are running backs. There's they couldn't no start, but they could no. play. Are you, there is no way we have five players on our team that would start on another big 10 team. David Blau. One, uh, two of our running backs. Name them. If you can't name them, they don't count. <laughs> Who are they? The uh, one guy who's going to get benched this year, who started last year. Wow, you're on fire. Markel Jones. Markel Jones. Markel. Markevelian. Okay, two. And then the guy with two last names. Lankford that- Johnson? Yeah. I'm really I, I here would, for the football analysis, guys. This is, this I is would why. Be I'd be hesitant to call him a starter because he started uh, one game, and that was against Illinois. And, well, I could start against Illinois probably. Okay, <laughs> but my point being – You've still only named three players, and I'm not sold. On... I only named one player. <laughs> right. And I'm not sold okay. on two of them. <laughs> I, okay. I, I'll give you two that probably could start. I, I give you Juwan Bentley and Marcus Bailey. I think they're two really th- solid guys five. to build her. Uh, Kirk, Barrett, Kirk Barron is a solid center. I mean, he's basically the one guy I have complete and utter confidence in on the offensive line. Uh, but... <laughs> you can't do a whole lot after that. I, yeah, oh, I mean, I, I'm just in. not sold on any of what you're saying. Yeah. Why are you making us say this? You're making us sad. I, I'm, well, I'm being honest. I'm not like I think we can build something with this coaching staff. Yeah, a fire. But, you know, haha. Football is not like basketball. You know, you can't take one recruiting class and suddenly you're back. You know, it it's going to take time and, and that's going to make for some difficult football games to watch. But it, I it like can't it get worse. Fun. It can't get worse. Oh, I like from his uh, combed JUCOs and grad transfers and everything else just to try and uh, scotch tape together a team this year. I mean, you're bringing in four graduate transfers. You're basically asking them to be starters from day one if they're coming here with one year to play. And then a couple of other JUCO guys. And it, it's like he's at least trying to do something. And we never saw that from Hazel. Yeah, I mean. Like, like I said, Hazel was just a guy collecting a check. Are I they mean, still going to sell beer at the games? Only in the yep. designated areas. Yep, down that's, in Morgantown. That's cruel. Well, not for me when I've got a Morgantown pass. Cool for you. Oh, look at you, Mr. Okay. High Roller here with this Morgantown pass. Okay. When, when the Delta suffering American extends Express all the way through Rossade, so should the boot. That's all right, why no so one else stays in Rossade. Follow me here. Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go like advanced statistics on you, but it's completely made up. So you know, in baseball, they have WAR, right? Wins above replacement. So uh, I'll, you know, basically, it's how much better you are than an average player plugged into that position. We're basically we're replacing a coach who was terrible. So what do you think would be the wins above replacement for our new coaching staff versus our old coaching staff? Like eighty. In one season. How about that? Or you go 80. over four years. 80. Over do negative four, numbers exist in this? Wins do you think this coaching Do negative staff? numbers exist in this? Uh, I'll, I'll say this. We won three games last year. 80. Now, you, t- you, you take one away 80. because we don't get the automatic FCS win. 80. Uh, I think... I think you could see, I could see four wins and you could consider it a successful season. Uh, you know, I... 
I want to be Ohio just because it's about damn time we stopped losing the friggin' Mac teams at home. I want to be Illinois just because if Hazel can beat Illinois, we should still be able to beat Illinois. I mean, that's, that, was, that was the um, highlight of Hazel era. But, you know, I'd like to beat Ohio. I think we could beat Illinois again. It would be nice to beat Rutgers since uh, that's going to be a nice uh, little Big Ten cripple fight at Rutgers. And then uh, find a way to beat Indiana. You know, just we weren't that far from beating Indiana last year. It was a two point loss. And I think I know they took the intentional safety at the end that cut it to two. But I think we had the ball down four and turned it over or something. No. So, yes. No. Yes. It doesn't sound like us at all. No, we only lost by two. Uh, But anyway, you know, if you win those, you beat Ohio, Illinois, Rutgers and Indiana. I'm going to be ecstatic because that means they at least did something. Basically, I didn't get an answer to my question. So what what was your question? How many wins above replacement over? I clearly said 80, like 80 80 times. We won't even play 80 games in four years. Okay, so in four years, okay, in four years. Yeah, but Hazel didn't just lose the games he coached. He is going to lose games this year, next yeah. year, and probably the year next after that. Uh, I'll, I'll give okay. So we'll give we'll give Hazel three and a half years because he was nine and thirty three in forty two games. Oh my God! Seriously? Yeah, I think oh. I think at minimum at minimum Brom is is eleven games better than that. I think that's fair. Tiller didn't, I didn't have the blog for Tiller's entire era. The only two coaches that I had the the blog for the entire era were Hope and Hazel, so. Well, well so this is your fault. My fault? This is your fault. We were fine well, before your blog. You were here for the bad f***ing Tiller era, the horrible Hope era, and the Hazel, I'm going to just boo all over West Lafayette. I, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and this is a very, very unsteady limb, but the Hope era was not that bad. Well, Whoa! Hold on. The, the hope, hold on. Hold on. The hope, it, it, it the doesn't hold seem on. you're eating a cold the, piece of the, because you think it's chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> the hope era was not that bad. Because yeah, because we had Hazel. Hope in year one was five and seven with Tiller's players. He was like he was like six or seven plays from being ten and two. I mean that team right. actually played really hard. And then he got derailed. I'm like four inches away from satisfying my girlfriend. What's your? But okay, even though he was even close to being ten and two, that was some. There were some very poor coaching decisions from Hope that led to that. Yeah, no kidding. Like, yeah, obviously there was a timeout against Notre Dame, blowing a double-digit lead to Michigan State in the fourth in the fourth quarter. That dumb. Uh, All the turnovers. The the turnover fest against Northwestern was the one that really, really hurt that year. So right, and then letting Northern Illinois run all over us, and then scoring a few towards the end to make it seem closer than it was. Um, But I mean. He at least had that team playing hard, and he got derailed the next year with all the injuries to virtually every skill player that we had, and that killed any momentum he had. It killed any recruiting momentum he had. And In a way, but he was also very well liked by the players, which I think also makes a bit of a difference. Like right. we, we know the stories that the players did not like Hazel at all, so they weren't going to fight for their coach. Like the rumor yeah. was that after getting blown out by Michigan and Wisconsin in the 2012 season, that the report, the rumors of, of Hope being fired, the players didn't want Hope to be fired. So that's one reason why the Ohio State game was so close as it was. Again, this is all just a rumor, but they were trying to fight for their coach at that point. Right. 
when they lost and they bet against Minnesota in the next game and then the bet against Penn State, like, you know, he at least had some games where he had those players that were fighting and being competitive. Right. I thought we were going to briefly talk about football. (laughs) Travis is the one who started down this rabbit hole here. What did I do? I was putting my son to bed. You were talking about football. No, no, no. You said... Danny Hope and his era <laughs> not that bad. And I cannot let that stand. That is ridiculous. You like I, that is the epitome of graduation goggles. You're like, oh, I remember those years so fondly. No. Well, it was closer to being good than we could give him credit. I'll give him at least a little what bit of credit. What the hell and, does that mean? Yeah, it's I don't know. Closer to being oh, good yeah. than we give him credit for? It's what? not his fault. We were down to a fourth string quarterback in his second season. Yes, but okay, let's go back in time. Let's look at the 2012 he didn't season. He recruit a good quarterback in like three years. No, he couldn't settle on a good quarterback in three years. He re- he, at one point, year. we had 10 That's quarterbacks on the roster. We could have had an entire offense of quarterbacks. But, I mean, just look back at the Ooh, 2012 season. That Penn opens State, up a weird hole. Yeah, Penn State and Ohio State were both <laughs> ineligible. So all we had to do was just beat Wisconsin that year. And sure enough... They have the opportunity and they get steamrolled. They'll, Purdue went six and six in Danny Hope's last season. But if you look at those six wins, the best team Purdue even beat was a four and eight Iowa team. Like and it was within, and it was within like two plays of beating Notre Dame and Ohio State. Yes, but who gives a damn? A loss is yeah, still a loss. It doesn't you matter if you don't win the team. game. If, in hindsight, firing Hope was a good idea. Replacing him with Hazel was the bad part. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I'll, I'll my, give you that. As one. my boy Allen Iverson likes to say, you play to win. No, that's not Allen Iverson. What the hell? No, Dennis <laughs> Allen. Laura. Come on. Oh. Oh. Let me start that over. <laughs> as my boy Allen Iverson says. I was going to talk about practice, <laughs> and, then I, and then I got I got trapped in the middle of my sentence. Well, allow me to quote the works of one. Ledman, your retainer just dropped by like 30%. (laughs) How many brothers fell victim to the streets? When your final, you're going to walk up to like a final jury and be like, as my boy, Malcolm X said, wait, no, no, not Malcolm. Don't quote Malcolm X here. Don't. (laughs) Are you saying there's a Rosa Parks preliminary jury? What? Anyway, (laughs) to go back to Danny Hope, what I'm trying to say we're still is. talking about football. Yes, because <laughs> I want to get my sh- in before we move so Juan can make the edit seamless. Mr. Ledman has the floor. That's right. It doesn't matter if you were close. As the former Indianapolis Colts head coach once said, you play to win the game. He Are wasn't the Colts coach. Vermeil? He was the Arizona Damn it, Cardinals. I was wrong again. <laughs> Dick Vermeil? Oh, I'm thinking of the guy from the Jets. Dennis Green. No. Oh, no, that was Herb Edwards. Herb Edwards. Herb Edwards. We have spent how much time of our lives wasting, like, just watching sports and talking about sports, and it took us that long? Yeah, I don't know how that happened. (sighs) So let's let's shift gears here from football, then... uh, Let's go. Let's go back to basketball and the 2017-18 season. Uh, I'm not not sure what how much you guys got into this while I was upstairs, but uh, we were talking quite a bit about it. 
I'd say. Okay. Yeah, so a little bit. Maybe not enough for Casey. Never. Can the 2017-18 season be better than this past season? Yes. No. Yes. Whoa, I don't whoa, think whoa, for... really? No, let's let's let Casey run with this because he's been fully target on it for a while. So all right. Oh, First boy. of all, we're bringing in <laughs> our limitations last year were mostly based off of a lack of a lack of elite athleticism is probably our one real deficit. And also spacing on offense occasionally when we tried to play two bigs, we were a little too turnover prone. Wasn't even a spacing issue because Caleb shot the ball well from outside, but we weren't always clean with how we wanted to play it and we forced a few too many passes. And Caleb Swanigan is a great player. He's wonderful. But I don't really think he I don't think he fully accepted what he is as a basketball player. And we wanted to put him in the role as a go to player. We we talked about late game situations and his struggling. And the fact was, Juan, he was bad. He was bad late games. He wanted to be the guy. He wanted to take the shot. And when you're a post player and you get the ball in the post, that is the easiest thing to double. So he got doubled. He would force the play. And Who's making that noise. Sorry. It's, was it me? I don't know. No, it was me. Okay. <laughs> Do I need to start over entirely? No, no. It was just appropriate <laughs> for your argument. <laughs> but I, th- I think our lines are cleaner this year. I think, first of all, Aaron Wheeler and Eden Ewing are going to be two athletes that we didn't have last year coming off the bench. And I, I for one, feel like Aaron Wheeler is going to be a stud. He's 6'10". He does a little bit of everything. His jump shot might not be all the way there yet, but he's long. He's quick. He knows how to pass. He knows how to play. And Eden Ewing is, you know, pretty much the same thing. He's even bigger. So we've got two of those guys coming off the bench and Nogel Eastern, who is a better athlete than what we had coming. I mean, last year we had Spike Albrecht and Ryan Klein coming off the bench. They are good players, but they lack, you know, the athleticism. I mean, we saw what happened to get can- against Kansas. Spike now has old man's game, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, now we add those pieces to a team full of seniors that have been there, and we still have... We lose Caleb, but we slide in Vincent Edwards at the four more naturally now. And that's his best position. Dakota Mathias, Ryan Klein, Carson Edwards, they are all capable of taking over stretches of games, either by shooting, passing, getting to the hoop. PJ Thompson has been solid his entire career. And now our holes are, yes, we need a backup big. Between Matt Harms and Jaquil Taylor, we have to have one of those guys, both of those guys off and on play a big man role to fill in the minutes. But in theory, our lineup makes more sense now because Isaac Haas is going to be in the post by himself with shooters everywhere around him. And we're not going to get, we have enough length and athleticism now to cover up against teams that are, you know, quicker than us. And also the Big Ten didn't recruit that well. Sorry to say it. We didn't bring in a bunch of huge talent. Except for Michigan State. Sure. Yeah, it's us in Michigan State. Anyone that brings up anything else, maybe Wisconsin, because they brought in some kids, but even their kids aren't great. I looked over every recruit for all the teams I watched. It is literally a two-team race next year. It's us in Michigan State. You know, one of the things that I like about Harms and Ewing and even Taylor, because, you know, I'm the only one on the Jaquil Taylor bandwagon right now. Plenty of seats available, by the way. I don't know why you'd get on a bandwagon that doesn't have any wheels. They're all broke. Well, I'll, uh, well, then I'll sit there and I'll sit there until the wheels get fixed. What I like about these three guys is they can actually take and hit a shot outside of five feet away from the basket. Has Haas taken a shot 
outside of five feet away from the basket in history. Now you want him to take long jumpers? Why would he? No, no. He's seven foot two and like 300 pounds. This is my point. I don't want him to. But when Harms and them are in there, that gives Purdue a different look to where we're not going to have a guy. We can can do the uh, pace and space, the play three guys out or play five guys out and everything else and uh, just be productive that way. And I like that Harms is, I mean, you've got a 7-3 Dutch guy that can shoot three-pointers, for crying out loud. Who's going to defend that? According to reports, he doesn't have a three-point shot yet. Oh, I thought he did. It's like he's, I read a story, he's like consistent like 18, 19 foot. It hasn't stretched all the way out yet. That's still dangerous, though. Sure, but I mean, we had that last year. When Caleb played the five, everyone could shoot. And now everybody can shoot except Haas being on the post. And when he's in there, it's going to be get him on, get him the ball on one-on-one situations. And I think what's critical for him is developing that ability to pass out of the double team and find the open shooter. I'm still, I'm still driving that Jaquil Taylor bandwagon. You may have to roll it downhill, but I'll, I'll drive it. I like the kid. We probably need 20 minutes a game between Jaquil and Harms. And I don't, that's probably stretching it because Ewing's going to play four. Wheeler can play some four. Those guys are both like 6'10, 6'9 with long wingspans. Wheeler needs to bulk up a little, but I'm I'm curious to see how he's going to fit in, especially coming from a program that was an undefeated national prep champion. I mean, you can't discount that really. My, my only uh, reason I say I don't know that we can be better this next year is we won the Big Ten this season. We won, it by two, we won it by two games. Yeah. And I don't care how good a team you have. That's not something that is easily repeatable. Yes, I know in the 90s Purdue won it three years in a row. But that is not something that, that is, is repeatable very often. Okay, Ledman, here's a question. Are you going to base it on how we do in the Big Ten, or is success going to be defined by how we perform in the tournament? Well, see, that's a good question. I mean— It's tournament, right? I mean, We've got enough Big Ten banners. We we don't care anymore. Like, it's nice to win well, them, but— I mean, I want, care. I know. I know we care. But, like, we want March success. That's what, yeah. we're, that's what yeah. we're desperate for. And I think that what we've seen the last couple of years, March success can be such a crapshoot. I looked it up today— We've had five straight years of a seven seed or less making a final four. And Anytime that's it's a just game elimination. It's a terrible way to decide the best of anything. Yeah, it, It's who gets hot at the right time and what matchups do you get? And, you know, we ran into a bad matchup with Kansas and they went thermonuclear for 15 minutes. But a lot of that is also we didn't have the athleticism to make a team like Kansas work. No, we did make them work for 25 minutes or so. I mean, it was a two-point game with 16 minutes to go, and then they just went crazy. I right. mean, nobody was going to do it. Nobody could have stopped them with what they started doing against us there. Except Oregon. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, I mean, I think that goes to Casey's point, though. You know, you can only scheme for so much yeah. and for so long until the superior athleticism and the superior talent on the floor takes over and and you see what happened. Yeah, when you're out athleticized that much, you're trying to hold a dam back with like three boards trying to cover up a monster hole. At some point, you're going to let a little out and then it all comes rushing through. And that's really what happened in that Kansas game. I mean, 
That's I think a lot of people just see the margin and assume that we got blown out from beginning to end. They forget it was a close game for most of the game. And that I mean, that's what stood out to me the most was just how quickly it got out of hand, really. Who has their TV on in the background? I got the Purdue baseball game on. We got the bases loaded in the sixth. Do I have to kick you out again? <laughs> I mean, we should probably get ready to wrap up anyway. Cause yeah, we should just wrap this up anyway. Yeah. 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 <laughs> let's bring we, it to a close. Going, let, let's start bringing this around to a close. So, uh, Juan, do you have any final thoughts for us? I'm happy for Biggie. I think he made the right decision. And I'm looking forward to what the basketball team can do this year. Okay. It's, it's quality. How about you, Casey? I'm not looking forward to the football team. If that counts. Biggie is a big loss, but I really do feel like Vincent was the key that we needed. He unlocks every advantage that we are going to have for our roster next year. And anytime you can bring back four seniors who have been through turmoil, success, turmoil, success, finally broke through a little bit last year, while also being able to bring in a very large recruiting class that has a lot of potential. I think that's the dream scenario. That's the balance that we haven't found the last, you know, almost decade with Painter's recruiting classes. He was never able to piggyback off the success of one big class while that class was still on campus. And now we have a chance to do that. And that is how you really build and sustain a program. And you have to you have to sustain a program first before you really break through. The thing with NCAA championships, they don't spread around. The Blue Bloods win, and it's really hard to break into those. But Purdue is on the verge of having the kind of sustained success in recruiting and program building that could – we're never going to – I doubt we ever really reached the Kentucky level – but we can get close, and we can absolutely dominate the Big Ten for the next five to ten years. And next year is going to be a huge stepping stone towards getting to that. And I think we have all the pieces. Basketball-wise, our team makes so much sense, and I'm excited. Well said. Well said. I just kind of, before we uh, close, I do want to you know give another shout-out to Biggie. Just you know, I don't think we all realize what we were watching last year. You know, we all gave him uh, some crap every now and then for, you know, maybe turning the ball over too much or, you know, not making those game ending shots like Casey was talking about. But as you guys know, I live on the East Coast now and I don't get a chance to go to uh, a lot of Purdue games. But one of them I was lucky enough to go to um, in Mackey was the uh, Norfolk State game. And for those of you that don't remember, Biggie got 32 points and <laughs> rebounds in that game. Yeah. And I mean, that may be the top one of the top two performances, maybe top three I've ever seen uh, in a basketball game in person. And I mean, just not only the way he played and the points he put up, but going after those rebounds and the crowd's realization of what they were watching as he inched up towards 20 rebounds. I mean, you know, probably about uh, 14 or 15 rebounds. You could start to feel the electricity in the arena. You just knew he, what he was going for. And, you know, it was kind of like a, a pitcher in a perfect game. No one was really talking about it where I was sitting, but we all knew what he was going after and how, how big it was. And you just watch the rebounds go up and up. And then he's at 18. And then he's at 19. 
And as soon as he got that 20th rebound, the whole entire arena knew it. Everyone just erupted. And that is one of the coolest things I've ever been a part of in Mackey Arena. And, you know, we're going to miss that guy. We're going to miss him a lot, um, regardless of the shortcomings. And I wish him nothing but uh, the greatest success in the NBA, not only because of what he did for Purdue, but just for how much damn work he put in to get a, to get to where he is right now and how much respect I have for that. So I really, I just, I want us to remember how great he was at Purdue, um, regardless of kind of all the critiques we had, and and just remember that, you know, for, for 5, 10, 15 years from now, we're always going to remember that we all got to watch him play, and I'm always going to remember that 32-point, 20-rebound game uh, against Norfolk State. Let me just piggyback off that for a second, because I am obviously the biggest Biggie hater here through the last two years, and it has been incredible. Yeah, (laughs) it has been incredible the work he's put in. Like he is the epitome of everything that Purdue fans pride themselves on about about our program, about our work ethic, about everything that Purdue basketball is supposed to be. And that's a five star kid who is a top 15 ranked player coming out of high school. And he just worked his ass off every day changed his body changed his game just the improvement and work he put into it i mean we went to the sweet 16 based off the fact that he went from one side of the paint all the way to the other to grab an offensive rebound on a free throw to seal up the game like the kid is a boilermaker and in two years he's done more to make that mean something than almost anyone that's went into our program well said and you know, I think I'll uh, give us the final word here, but uh, I know that at Purdue, we don't get players of his caliber very often. And our entire history is baked, is built off of guys that come in and play and work above their natural ability and give everything that they have above their natural ability to try and get us to that next level. And so we, he was already hyped before he even set foot on campus. But what is, what turned him on to the fans is what turns on the fans for any Purdue player, any sport is a guy that comes in and just, as you guys said, busts ass and just puts in the work, doesn't complain about it. And you know he's giving every bit of himself when he's out there. We've always respected that. The guys that are long remembered at Purdue are the guys that did that. And, you know, that e- that even goes back all the way to Wooden. So you have a tradition of 80, 90 years of us respecting the guys that did that. For him to do that as such a highly rated recruit and have the success that he did and the success that he will have in the NBA because he, he'll have success in the NBA. There's no doubt in my mind. It, it's been a pleasure and it's been amazing to have him as part of our program. And like you guys have said, he's going to be missed. And we're grateful that he came by and he'll be remembered. He'll have his banner in the rafters for all time. And, you know, all, he's always welcome to come home and get that standing ovation when they put the camera on him in the crowd. And that that's going to be some fun. I think that's going to be fun for him, too. And I think that you saw him realize just what he means to us and how much he how much joy he took from it of the 
okay, these people really care about me and want me to succeed and they'll care about me going forward. And that's what's going to be wonderful to see uh, in the future from him. Now that we're all done uh, taking care of Biggie here, uh, I guess I'll sign off for us. So for uh, Andrew Ledman, for Casey, for Juan, and for myself, T-Mill, we'll uh, welcome you back the next time we actually do one of these podcasts and uh, boiler up. We'll see you in two months. (laughs) Ha 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 ha!